This episode of the Zero Cafe podcast is made possible by our partners, Online Influence Institute and VWO. Today I talk with Iqbal Ali, former head of optimization at Trainline and currently a freelance Zero consultant and trainer. And today we're going to talk about statistics. Iqbal is going to run us through a recent article he wrote about Bayesian expected loss. If you have a browser handy, I definitely recommend going through the show notes and clicking on the link from that, uh, from that blog post so you can see some additional uh, visuals for that. In case you missed the previous episode, last time I spoke with Alexander Munoz. He's from Spain, a self-taught UX designer. He worked previously at Booking.com and we spoke about his experience as a UX designer in a very data-driven company. And you can listen to that episode on www.zero.cafe or in the podcast app you're listening with right now. Welcome to Season 3, Episode 11. Welcome to the Zero Cafe podcast. Uh, we're going to talk about expected loss today. Uh, you have a whole presentation uh, for us uh, for that. But of course, first, we would love to know uh, you a bit better. So uh, yeah, where, where do you come from? What's your background uh, uh, starting in this field? So my background is in UX, uh, UX and front-end development. Yeah. And that's, that's where I first started. And then I kind of moved into more development kind of uh, area. Uh, before before going into um, uh, getting into the CRO space, uh, where it was a good good kind of like marriage of UX and and uh, development, and also got exposed to all of the nice stuff like analytics and and statistics and stuff like that. <laughs> well, it depends so. on who you ask, I guess. If yes, nice yeah. <laughs> but UX <laughs> stuff is that mainly the design or research or? Yeah, yeah, design and research. So I've, uh, I've got a little bit of experience with the research, but mostly mostly with the design. And when I say design, it's kind of like more wireframes and kind of user uh, user centered design sort of thing. Yeah, not necessarily the uh, not necessarily the visual part. Yeah, and then after uh, and then after going to CRO, then um, I've kind of um, I was the uh, head of optimization at Pervera Trainline, and um, as part of that, we're just kind of rolling out. Uh, experimentation across the organization um, so um, so kind of like um, as, a, as an internal consultant for analysts developers yeah. uh, product owners designers and people like that now you mainly do this as a as a freelance uh, CRO so yes do you have a specific uh, uh, kind of client that you target like a specific vertical or what kind of clients do you have the, the kind of clients I go for is kind of like the corporates where they want to um, where they want to roll out an experimentation process or program across their organization uh, where they want like uh, training for um, uh, for their uh, for their respective people product owners developers and so on uh, so similar kind of thing to what I was doing at trainline uh, but kind of like yeah that's that's kind of my area which is in coaching and training yeah and uh Today you wanted to uh, introduce us to uh, to expected loss and talk about uh, that uh, expected loss from uh, from experiments. Please introduce the topic to us. Yeah. So um, just to uh, one of the things that was important to me is kind of the importance of uh, clarity in storytelling. So I'm a graphic novelist as well. So I write graphic novels and uh, and, and, and publish them. And one of the things that uh, that that I kind of like came across, which is which is kind of like a key point uh, with with, uh, with what I do is um, is comics and panel panel transition. So here's here's an example from understanding comics about non sequiturs, and this is where you have 
a series of visuals which are not really related to each other. Uh, I oh. promise this is going to get lead into statistics in a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but the but the uh, the idea is that they're, they're 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 not really sequential. That the meaning doesn't follow one from each other, and so it just ends up being like there's there's a there's a use for it uh, in terms of like uh, the 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 reader brings their meaning to the uh, to the table. Um, but it, in, it, if you use it too much, you end up with a with a lot of confusion, with a lot of people taking away different things from the same uh, same kind of uh, visual. Uh, Here's another one, which is a more conventional action to action kind of panel transition, where it kind of makes sense. You've got like uh, just so quick. So for the podcast users, for the non sequitur, you've got the guy saying cheese, and then you've got a panel with with trees and you've got a panel with fish in it. So they're they're kind of like non-related. And then for the action to action, you've got a very specific sort of sequence. So you've got somebody pouring wine into a glass, you've got somebody drinking, and you've got that person burping. So it's kind of like a very clear, very definitive kind of transition. So this is a, a... I remember a, a, a quote from Charles Whelan's Naked Statistics book where he said that data is the raw material of knowledge and statistics is the most powerful tool we have for using information to some meaningful end. So it's kind of like saying, you know, statistics is a, a good tool for describing uh, data. And for me, like the, the frequentist terms that we were used to at, at Trainline we're kind of like we had p-values and t uh, t-tests and stuff like that. Confidence intervals. They kind of they, they kind of like uh, reminded me a little bit of non sequitur. They didn't really mean much. They didn't really uh, provide me with a good visual image of what was actually happening with the data. And particularly when you have two types of um, uh, experimental goals. So you've got the type of experiment, which is where you, 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 you're looking for a conversion win. So you've got like a hypothesis and you're testing a hypothesis and you're hoping that win will lead to, you know, some, some more hypothesis down the, uh, down the road. Um, but you've also got these other types of risks, which, which we call de-risk tests, which is stuff that you, you essentially want to roll out, but you just want to test whether or not it impacts your conversion negatively. So there's some changes you want to roll out, maybe a feature that the, uh, that the product team want to roll out, and they just want to de-risk uh, that rollout. So in that instance, you're not really looking for a, uh, a win. You, you're kind of like looking, you're, you're expecting a kind of like flat uh, result. And with the current frequentist terms, where it kind of like gives you a boolean value, Either it's significant or it's not significant. And while that might be okay for learning uh, those, those kind of conversion uh, rate tests, they're not particularly great for de-risk tests where you're kind of looking for a flat. So what we found is that these types of experiments tend to just run on and on and on, uh, kind of indefinitely where we're collecting data. Because how long do you need to get a flat result? Yeah. Uh, right. So it's it's a very difficult kind of uh, kind of yeah. problem. So I was looking for something to kind of um, 
to kind of help in that regard. So the frequentist terms were kind of good for in some sequ- uh, um, scenarios, but in other in other ways they weren't they weren't really helping, especially when you got like uh, product owners and uh, and stakeholders, test stakeholders, um, asking you know what do we do and. You know, we as CRO practitioners, we have to we have to give them an answer, right? We have to say, you know, um, yeah, I advise you to do this, and then you have to explain why. And when it comes to that, it's kind of like sometimes it's clear, but sometimes it's it's kind of murky, where you, you where it's kind of like uh, it's it's not as crystal clear as 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 it can be in 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 for, for some other experiments. Yeah, just there's still a lot of gray areas there. Yeah, there's a lot of gray areas. So what I was looking for is kind of like uh, flexibility based on experiment goals. I was looking for clearer language. So the different goals are the different de-risking versus conversion rate tests. Mm -hmm. And also looking to reduce experiment run times. So this is like the holy grail, which which a lot of places kind kind of look for. And uh, and then just additionally, some, maybe some stopping rules and automation possibilities to help kind of um, um, take off the strain of the decision making a little bit um, from the analysts and the CRO practitioners. And um, yeah, so statistics is kind of like a, a way of describing data. So this is also like a, a, a thing from took away from Charles Whelan's book, where it's kind of like. You know, I'm not that. There's a there's a real kind of um, uh, almost religious battle between frequentist and Bayesian that goes on. And for me, it, it doesn't really. I'm not really interested in getting involved. What I was looking for is just getting some uh, some better descriptive uh, visuals about the data in order to make better decisions. Really. Um, so what we're looking for is probability that A is better than B. Um, so I'm just going to jump to the uh, jump to a quote from um, Chris Stukier, which I'll I'll, I'll kind of uh, speak more about later on, um, where he says I have a much easier time understanding a Bayesian result um, than a frequentist result, and there's a number of studies that show that practitioners. Uh, have a significant misunderstanding of frequentists, and that is also something that that I kind of uh, come across. Um, so there, there's a there's a problem with. Um, um, I clearly remember a talk from uh, from Chris at uh, Conversion Hotel. I think eighty um, percent of the room <laughs> was quite flabbergasted after his talk <laughs> about <Yeah>. statistics. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting, right? We all, we all had some, uh, um, yeah, some some food for thought after that one. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I read over some of the uh, the, the kind of like um, white papers that he links to, and they 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 do make for some interesting and some scary reading as yeah. well. Exactly. Yeah. So it's it's um and especially when you consider like uh, for example frequentist like statistical significance. Um, there is a kind of like, uh, you know, I've run multiple AA tests uh, in, in the time and the, the visual for those who've got access to the visual, um, they'll see something which is based on real data, but I've kind of like uh, I've changed it a little bit, kind of like 
just to protect the the the, uh, the, the data source. Um, but there, you know, what you tend to see is statistical significance just kind of hits a number of times during that runtime of an experiment. So it's it's kind of a little bit uh, unstable as as a means. So depending on when you call it, you could call it at a at a significant moment or a non-significant moment, uh, which was a which was a problem for me. Which is where we uh, where kind of got the data science team involved, um, and they did a lot of research. They came across Chris Stukio's stuff, his white paper on expected loss. Um, so this is so this is what was our jumping off point for for how we were going to kind of transform the way that we we kind of analyze and and our data and make decisions. Uh, based on uh, based on that data, and there's some complicated kind of um, kind of um, formulas uh, that Chris Stuka has put up, um, and they you know for for the, the people who are mathematically inclined, they probably make a lot of sense, but for other people, it kicked on. Um, his his kind of view of expected loss is uh, what his definition is is, as I quote, uh, compute a posterior and use it to estimate whether the expected losses you'd make by choosing A or B are below the threshold of caring. If so, stop the test. So it's kind of like um, turning things on its head a little bit, where usually you'd be looking for, oh, what's the, what's the winning variant? What, you know, like this variant is winning by 0. 0.5. Five percent. Um, so, how? What, what's you know? What's the convert? What's the statistical significance of that? Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. This kind of turns it on its head and says, "What's the risk? What's the expected loss you would make for choosing the variation right now? Or what's the expected loss we'd choose the control right now? And what constitutes the, the least risk?" Yeah. So it's it's kind of like a uh, it's a different way of looking at the data. Again, going back to the um, the action to action kind of panel transition, it's more about kind of you know looking at it in one way and looking at it another way to get a meaningful context about uh, about the data, uh, right? So um, so I'm going to go into hopefully explaining expected loss uh, a little bit with um, with words and visuals. So people who've got access to visuals, great. <laughs> but otherwise, you probably have to deal with words. And hopefully, I'll try and do it with as little mathematics as possible. Will this work? Hmm, maybe not. Isn't that what we're all trying to figure out? With VWO, create an A-B test different variations of your website to continuously discover the best performing versions that improve conversions. Stop guessing. Start A-B testing with VWO today. Yeah, and, and uh, by the way, so also for the people uh, listening to this, uh, we'll have uh, a link to the to the presentation uh, in the show notes. So definitely uh, click, uh, click to those and you can open them on your mobile phone or whatever you're listening. 
you can uh, you can see the slides uh, slides as well. And hopefully you don't hear too much of my sons making a racket in the background. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's all part of lockdown. That's, yes, that's how, all part of that's lockdown. How, that's how it works. <laughs> By the way, so I do, I do have a question. So uh, this approach uh, uh, it does feel um, uh, it does feel a, a bit negative, as in we assume that anything uh, uh, doesn't do anything, uh, anything, any changes. But I think the 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 way of doing this is is basically as a as a check for anything that the content team or the design team, any changes that they are making, uh, yeah. to make sure it doesn't uh, do anything negative to your to your numbers. Uh, does it does it still show you when it does something positively, or how, how does, yes. it, does it work? Yeah, yeah. I think um, I'm, I mean, in terms of the the way of looking at the data, and I'll come to that right at the end. But expected loss only gives you again part of the picture. Yeah. It's it's just that one single panel. But what you you still need is that other panel, which is like looking at it from a, uh, a conversion winning perspective as well. So you'd, so you'd have both views. So you'd look at it. Um, so for, for example, for example, you might have two different types of tests. One, which is your, you want to roll out some feature and you just want to deal want to make sure that you're not breaking conversion. Yeah. And another way you think that changing a button color to green will, will drastically improve your conversion rate. Yeah. And the, the way you'd look at those two tests would be slightly different, but but kind of like um, slightly kind of in, in similar terms. So, for example, for the conversion winning test, the green button, you'd probably be okay to look at it in frequentist terms if the answer was very clear. So if it came out like, uh, you know, yeah, it's a win. It's statistically significant. Um, you, you know, the, it passes the power checks confidence intervals, all that kind of stuff, then you'd probably be satisfied. And um, if it's if it's somehow close, then you probably want to get some more views of that data. You'd want to probably make sure that you're making the right decision. And then, you know, you this is where you start to look at things in, in different ways. Like, you, like, for example, with the de-risk test, you know, with the... Um, with the frequentist method, most likely will tell you uh, there's nothing happening. There's nothing statistically significant, uh, but there could be something, and that could that could relate to a conversion loss. But it's not significant. We're not sure. You might want to collect more data. But in usual cases, with those kind of uh, with those kind of scenarios, the product team would want to move fast. Would want to de-risk roll out a feature, and then move on to the next one. In which case, you would look at it from an expected loss perspective. So you want to see um, which constitutes the least risk to, to roll out. Is, my, is the expected loss stable? Is, is my uh, control, is my variation um, the, the less risky option to go with? Um, if it's not, I really want to go with the variation. What's the cost? of this risk I'm about to take in, in going with yep. variation. So then this is where the expected loss kind of really helps. Um, so uh, just some basic kind of like um, statistical terms, you get the normal distribution curve. So you've got like the 
your mean conversion rate. So maybe conversion rate is like 9% or something like that. And then you've, uh, so that's your mean. And then you've got a normal distribution curve around that. So you've got um, standard deviations to either side of that 9%, um, which then if uh, one standard deviation on either side, if you were to randomly um, collect some data with some samples from your normal distribution curve, there would be about 68.26% that you'd get a result, uh, one standard deviation either side of the mean. So that's kind of like the, 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 the basis of uh, the normal distribution curve. The further away from the mean you get, the less likely it is for you to get like a random sample. So yeah, so this is this is this kind of like uh, is is the core of this this approach where you kind of like um, um, grabbing imagine grabbing random samples from your uh, from your control uh, group and from your variant group, and um, what you'd end up with is. Um, in Pythonic terms, it's, kind of, it's called a tuple, and a tuple is just a kind of two numbers, a series of two numbers. So it's a list of two numbers that so you get. So, for example, you get a number for the control, which is your random sample that you've collected for the control, your random conversion rate for the control. So it might be 13.4%. And then you get a random conversion rate for your variant which you know might be 12.6%. And then you get another two random samples, one from the one from the control, one from the variant. So so it is a simple kind of a Python um, uh, kind of modules which go and get which go and fetch you those uh, those random uh, samples. And then what you're what what you do basically is for the expected loss for the variation, you you do control minus variation. So you compare each one of these, these, um, these pairs of results to each other. You minus the control from the variation and compare that result to zero and return the highest value. So what you get is a list of values, like for example, 0 0.8, 0 0.6. So you'd go through that entire list of tuples where you're just kind of doing that um, uh, that equation. And once you've got that list, you get the average. And this is basically what the expected loss is for choosing variation. So then you do the same, but do it the, in the opposite direction to get the expected loss for the control. So you get an expected loss for the variation and you'll get an expected loss for the control. And this, this is like a, uh, um, um, I'm not going to talk through this in, in, uh, for the podcast, for those who've got the visuals, you'll get the, 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 the Pythonic kind of like, you know, truncated, uh, the summarized view that you use in, uh, in a Python notebook, for example. So, so we did this, and you 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 do this for each day that the test was running. So for um, cumulative uh, sort of a, a conversion rate, you do this, um, you run through this calculation. And if we remind ourselves of the 
statistical significance over time where you had where we had this AA test which is just bouncing around yep. um, hitting significance at that week three at week uh, six and week seven and this is like 95 percent significance um, when we when we run similar numbers through expected loss you get something much more stable um, so you get something that's that is at first, like just to describe the graph. Um, so you get a, a you get a um, a timeline view for the variation and one for the control, and you can see that at the beginning they're kind of far apart, but they start to come together. But they're still not uh, completely in line with each other, um, which is where you probably need to get your threshold of caring uh, put in. So you need to say, okay. Um, uh, clearly, I need to apply some confidence intervals yeah. to this. How would you determine that, that threshold of caring? The threshold of caring—that's uh, a good question, and that's something that we—that's that, something that we did—that uh, we did struggle with. So we we had um, we looked over. I, I can imagine that it's, it's not necessarily about the percentage. You you care about the revenue or or or, or profit. And not necessarily about the the, the change, uh, the percentage-wise change in, in the variant. Yeah, and, and what we were looking for is kind of like what the threshold of caring to say that you know this is that there's not much in this result. Like you know, like this is an AA test, and even in an AA test, you'll see that one is uh, one variant is less risky than the other, which yeah. doesn't make sense because they're just AAs. Yeah. So so. Um, so we had to look at hundreds of our past tests and just yeah. kind of uh, reviewing them until we came up with uh, with some values. But even then, it wasn't quite perfect, um, which is where I kind of like um, uh, when it comes to the final story, which is where we put it all together, it, it, it kind of mattered. We had to, had to put some rules in place mm -hmm. as to how to look at this. So... We actually, the, the threshold of caring, we actually kind of moved away from it a little bit. Um, and so these are the kind of rules that, um, that we wanted to put into place. So, for example, we wanted to get the latest probability score, which is similar to st uh, significance, uh, but it's an important view uh, to get. So you'd look at the two conversion rates, control and variation. You'd look at the difference of those uh, conversion rates. You'd look at the probability, uh, and you'd want to look at the probability um, over time um, yeah. as well. So it's kind of like a, a, a what I feel is a kind of like a core Bayesian kind of view, which is a cumulative buildup of a, or a visual picture of what your uh, what you what the data is saying yeah and um so then the probability score is absolutely part of that uh, but we name it away from significance because significance has some bad connotations where people kind of like have put too much emphasis on this term significance um and we get like a probability variance of the last seven days which is important so you can see how stable the probability is yeah. and um, and then we have like uh, so here's here's a picture of that so you'd see 
control conversion, variation conversion, the relative conversion difference, and then you'd see a cumulative data graph of conversion rates. And in this view, the higher is better. So then you'd see like <clears throat> what the probability is for the conversion rates at any given time and what the latest probability rate is. Um, and you'd also look at, you know, all of your typical other views that you get like normal distribution curves and stuff. Okay. Um, you'd also want to look at the uh, expected loss. And this is where, where the, um, for the expected loss, you'd want to check how stable the expected loss is. So this is where we need to, we, we check to see how stable the read is um, altogether. All so at the beginning of a test, you'd see the expected loss lines kind of cross crisscrossing each other sometimes. But then over a period of time, they should settle and they should settle to a point that, you know, the, the variance from day to day as collecting data cumulatively isn't that isn't that big so it's not just it's not the expected losses and kind of diverting diverting away from each other yesterday's brainstorm was so good i really liked steph's idea of running that test on the call to action buttons making them orange will really make them stand out don't you think yeah right do you want to design real A-B test winners and achieve enormous conversion uplift then stop brainstorming and take a scientific approach if you can read Dutch, follow the steps in Online Influence, the bestseller on managementbook.nl. Or enroll in the author's course and become an expert in applying proven behavioral science yourself. Go to onlineinfluence.com for more information and free downloads. What you're showing here is, uh, is data from an AA test, right? This, is, this, uh, this particular view is uh, I generated some data for this. Uh, it's based on um, a real test, but like I said, it's, it's generated data. So just yeah. like uh, using Python to generate some uh, generate some numbers for me. But it's it's kind of uh, realistic to okay. Yeah, because what, what we see here is that it, it pretty much stabilizes after one week, right? Yeah, and that's and that's not always the case for all uh, for all data. But yeah, so yeah. Th that's what I'm wondering. So uh, how much? Basically, how much faster uh, can you can you call a test? Basically, <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. So, so one of the rules that we're looking for is that we want to look for at least the last seven days of stability. Yeah. So the the the, the, the kind of core rule is, and we run. Um, I mean, it's a good idea to have like a minimum runtime for your test. For example, you run the test for at least two weeks. Yeah. Uh, and then after that, you're looking for seven days of stability. Yeah. And so once you, uh, and with that seven days of stability, you can decide to uh, decide to call a test. Yeah. Um, and you can and you can see what the risk, what the cost of you would be, uh, of you making a potentially wrong decision or whatever. So. Um, and that's and that's basically it. So the, the way that we look at it is through the, uh, the, the the conversion rate, the cumulative conversion rate, uh, the probability, and then mixed with and then you look at the expected loss, the stability of the expected loss, and you're looking for uh, seven days worth uh, of stability at least. 
And um, and then what we've what we've found is that um, we did have some clearer language. So it was it was it was it was more understandable to analysts. And what we ended up with was reduced experiment run times, but not for the reason you might think. Like, for example, it's suddenly given, magically given us another, uh, another result uh, over and above frequencies. But rather, because there were, um, there's much more clarity in terms of the way that um, analysts, stakeholders are looking at the data, it actually made for the possibility of calling the tests sooner. Um, because you know they're much more confident in in the decision making process. Do you do you still always use? I mean, the the, the graphs you've uh, you've shown those are uh, percentage differences between uh, test variants, right? Yeah. Um, you say this this is clear, but still, I can imagine that uh, a lot of people still have the tendency to want to uh, uh, translate this into business value. Um, is, is this something you also do or do you keep it uh, like this in, in percentages between between tests? I mean, that's for some people that might still be very hard to say, okay, but what does it actually mean for the business? Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest. At this point, it's probably up to the analyst to then, uh, to then you know, take take on. So uh, yeah, if, there's, if they then, um, if this view... And uh, they need to make a decision. They need to get some values to the stakeholders. They probably go away and calculate a value of that, yeah. um, and 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 provide that value. Um, right. And that would probably, you know, make for easier kind of uh, communication, especially when you can visually show uh, what that what that risk is, and you can visually show that yeah, this is. This is not a stable test. It's jumping up and down, like the, the, the lines of expected loss, like crisscrossing, for example. Yep. Um, that's kind of showing that you might need to leave the test running for a long time, yep. or maybe it's it's just too close to call. Um, yeah, and the other way maybe, around, it's very interesting, of course, to to make uh, to be able to make the call faster for tests that aren't showing showing anything. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I think for, for, for de-risk tests and for tests with low traffic, we did see um, that there is a marked improvement in kind of um, reduction in, in terms of the runtime of the experiment. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think that's uh, well, the, the other thing that it does actually is to open up the possibilities of uh, automation. Um, and, um, and that was... Um, I mean, yeah, that, that would be the, the perfect kind of goal. I mean, everyone looks for stopping rules and stuff like that. Um, so I think this kind of, you know, this kind of rule set where you get like different, um, different ways of looking at the data allows you to create some, uh, create a set of rules that are, um, that are specific to your particular type of business. Yeah, then uh, you can you can create a stopping rule based on the actual performance, not necessarily on statistical significance, because that because that doesn't work because that fluctuates all the time. Yeah, yeah. Or you can have like a, a set of stopping rules based on um, 
other kind of things that you might be, other kind of database that you might be looking at from a Bayesian perspective. It might be expected loss, it might be uh, conversion rate, it might be the, the standard um, standard deviation of um, expected loss, like uh, over over the last period of seven days, which might be which might be a warning flag. So you could write as many rules as you want to kind of like be more uh, more strict or less strict with the way that you call in tests. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of it, it's it's actually quite flexible in the way that you look at it because you know you could uh, I, I'm sure a business could decide that looking at things in different in, the, in one specific way is more important than looking at it in a different way. Um, so yeah, I mean um, that's expected loss. You you've spoken to Chris Stucker, I, I take it. Well, the, uh, I haven't spoken to him the, at that conference, I guess, but uh, not, not as far as I can remember, maybe at dinner. <laughs> uh, not necessarily about the presentation, but yeah, he had a presentation at the uh, Conversion Hotel, I think it was two or three years ago, uh, where he, where he um, um, I think, actively uh, promoted the Beijing approach <laughs> for, uh, for, and, and explained the way uh, they were doing things at, um, at Optimizely. And uh, at VWO, they do, um, I mean, this is the, the expected losses one that they've kind of implemented in at VWO. Uh, I'm not sure exactly how they've, uh, in, in what form they've implemented it, because uh, it, it would be it'd be interesting to, to, to look at it. Um, but yeah, there is this kind of, even, even as I was researching for this step, I did come across a lot of articles where it's kind of very, very, very much frequentist is the way or Bayesian is the way. It's kind of like, it seems like it's a, it's almost like a fundamental religious debate. And the, um, but yeah, in, in effect, it's kind of like, a, like I was saying before, it, they don't actually tell you anything different they just provide you different kind of ways of looking at the data. And I think that's kind of, that's kind of more important than like uh, any sort of philosophical debate over uh, frequentist or Bayesian. I mean, for me, I can't get my head around frequentist. It, it is kind of like a difficult concept to get, you know, to get a head around. And it is a difficult concept to try and, try and explain to uh, stakeholders Whereas if you can if you can show them visually, um, you know, like uh, like you can with uh, some of these Bayesian uh, approaches, it's a lot easier to explain to people at least. Uh, exactly. said, uh, I, I said automatically, but you're right. He, he worked for VWO. VWO. He, he left uh, VWO at two, in 2017, so it's way longer than I than I saw this presentation. Yeah, <laughs> 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 yeah. at least five years ago, apparently. So um, yeah, what if you what are you working on now? Is is this something? Do you, do you see this as a, as a is this in a finished state, or do you still have a lot of things uh, saying okay, this, this is something we could improve uh, uh, here? I mean, uh, me personally, I'm starting to get more and more into uh, like storytelling with data because it feels like a lot of. In, in a lot of places, and a lot of CRO uh, practitioners I've spoken to, they they kind of say, okay, we give them the experiment results, 
PowerPoint presentations or whatever it is, whatever form they communicate with the stakeholders. But then it's kind of the, the it doesn't really make that much sense or it's dry reading or it's not, it, it, yep. it's, it's kind of not seen as very interesting. Which I think is a is a real shame because I think it's 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 got nothing to do with the the data or the message. I think it's got to do more with the way that it's kind of presented or told, and uh, because it's yeah, I can't find this this kind of data uh, analysis fascinating to see what what kind of meaning you can you can derive from something, and. Um, yeah, and, and how you can merge like just basic storytelling uh, techniques and just to just to make sure that what you're what you're communicating is compelling uh, you know so yeah I think that's kind of like more the the angle that I'm that I'm headed with this is um, less kind of um, frequentist Asian statistics more kind of how how can we visually tell the story of the data? And yeah. is there is there a particular process that you can tell that story that makes it that much more complex? So do, do you have any uh, uh, final tips or tricks for us uh, on, on how to visualize those results? What, what works well uh, in terms of uh, doing that for an A-B test and how to communicate that better? The, the, I think the... Uh, the, the the main thing that um, people um, kind of fall down on is not is not taking into account who their audience is. Mm-hmm. So, in, depending on who your audience is, you'd be looking at things. You'd be presenting a, a, a very different kind of view. So, for example, a lot of the stuff that I was going through now, like um, there, there's more stuff besides that. That if I was speaking to an analyst. You know, you, you could, you, what you want to give them like standard deviation for the last, the expected loss for the last, uh, expected loss difference for the last seven days. Um, saying that to a stakeholder is probably not going to mean to them. Um, and in terms of like uh, visually uh, representing that, that data, this, the, the cumulative um, approach really, really does communicate well. So instead of, Picking like um, like a lot of the dashboards I see, kind of like this is the conclusion of the test. This is the state of the conclusion of the test. Yeah, where that's just a very very um, a very small part of the of the full picture. Um, it's it's and you know if you even showing it to to stakeholders, that just single picture is not very compelling whatsoever. But when they see that that cumulative approach, it it almost because it almost tells a mini story in itself because you start off, yeah, at the beginning things were in flux and then things started to stabilize and then things started to uh, started to favor one view and then this is where we've landed up on and it's kind of like uh, just that in itself is kind of much more visually compelling than uh, than just like a very very selective kind of view of. Uh, of the data features. Yeah. Speaking of storytelling, do you have any book recommendation for us? Yes, I've got a few. Um, so, Understanding Comics 
which I know is uh, doesn't seem like it's related, but it's very good at the kind of like uh, um, of getting across visual storytelling techniques, uh, which so I think a lot of people can learn some uh, some kind of uh, tactics about how to approach uh, displaying the data. There's this this book. Uh, also, storytelling with data. I don't know if you can see it. Storytelling with data um, with Cole uh, Nussbaumer Nathlet. Um, um, Understanding comics is by Scott McLeod, by the way. And uh, this is storytelling with data. And then also naked statistics, which I've quoted uh, a few times on there. Um, I think those 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 are really great books to. Yeah. If, if I may add one uh, in terms of storytelling and data, uh, the Norm Chronicles. Norm Chronicles. Uh, I have it here. Let me see who's uh, the author. Uh, Michael Blastland and David Spiegelhalter. Ah, okay. The Norm Chronicles. Uh, now, it was recommended by, uh, to me by uh, uh, Lucas Vermeer from Booking. Uh, ah, it helps with uh, storytelling around uh, around a lot of difficult numbers and how to explain that to uh, people that are not necessarily um, always involved with statistics. Yeah, I've added <laughs> that to my list. And another one is uh, information is beautiful. Beautiful. Have you come across that? No. Nope. Uh, I've come across. That. I haven't read it. Oh yeah, yeah. Information is beautiful. It's, it's more of a visual book, so it's kind of like you you, you can get some. Uh, some inspiration about the way we present yeah. uh, data in a way that there's lots of art and stuff made up of visual information. So, very, so let's see how, how far we can get with Data Studio and uh, <laughs> yeah, turning yeah. that into art. <laughs> yeah, turning that into works of art that we can share on the, yeah. our galleries. Hey, well, thank you so much for uh, for sharing that uh, with us. Uh, very interesting and uh, good, to, good to keep Keep thinking about this. Keep thinking about how we present results, and how we communicate, uh, whatever we do, and to uh, make that uh, keep making that relevant for everyone in the teams. Thanks. Cool. Thank you for having me. Bye bye. And this concludes season three, episode eleven of the Zero Cafe podcast with Iqbal Ali. Make sure to check out the show notes on the Zero Cafe website for links to some additional information on today's topic. In the next episode, I'll be talking to Jeremy Horowitz, partner at Messenger Mastermind. And we're going to talk about using SMS for e-commerce. Talk to you then and always be optimizing.